Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. C3 Church. Oh gosh. Are you there? Let's do that again. Let's do that again. Hi there, C3 Church. It's all right. I'm not going to make you holler. Yeah, this is something that I made them do yesterday. Well, it is such a privilege to be with you. It really is. And I want to say a big thank you to Pastor Steve and Angie um, for inviting me. It really, I feel, this is family. I feel really at home here. And um, it's what, I mean, yesterday was just amazing. It was outstanding. So to be here again this morning and to uh, get the opportunity to share with you is just really, really um, awesome. Well, I want us to jump straight into the Word of God. So open your Bibles or just have a look at the screen to 1 Samuel 25. And I'm going to read from verse 18 to 22. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seers of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisin and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on, on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her. And she met them and, and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one mill of all who belong to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for all that you are to us, Lord God. Thank you for just being able to gather like this to worship your name. We do not take it for granted, Lord God. We thank you for the opportunity to gather to hear your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be together, to fellowship with one another, Lord. We thank you that we live in a country where we can do this, Lord. And we thank you that even as we come today to um, hear your word, Lord, I do pray, Father, that you will prepare every heart, no matter where they are, Lord God, that you will prepare hearts to hear your word. I pray, Father, that you will speak through me, Lord God. I pray that your Name will be glorified and all your children edified in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, yes, Breathe was amazing. It really was. Uh, I got to hear. Are there any ladies here from Breathe? Okay, okay. So this is what we do in Jubilee Church, London. Whenever, so I, I, I run a conference called Courage. And whenever we say Courage, the ladies scream and holler, okay? So whenever I say breathe, even if it's got nothing to do with the conference, you scream and you holler, okay? So even if I say something like, you know, it's good to be able to breathe. (laughs) Breathe yesterday was amazing. (laughs) And Pastor Angie, as she leads Breathe Women, you get it now, okay? And just to give you a warning, I'm African, okay? So there's gonna be a lot of this. I know you're all kind of posh down here. I'm African and I'm from London. And I'm from North London. Not North, North London. 
so um, prepare yourself. But it really was good to, to, to be here. And just to hear just the wisdom, you know, the wisdom of the ladies that got up on stage and just shared, um, to, to just be in the presence of God. I mean, God was powerful. Every single session was packed with God's presence and anointing. And I am so grateful to get to be in, in, in situations such as this where I can just, you know, just be with my sisters and receive from God. And not just that, there was joy in the house. There was joy in the house. And there was peace. And I think sometimes we can take that for granted as well. I often say it's not until you lose your peace that you realize how important peace is. And we live in a day and age where there is no peace. There is no peace. You might be sitting here and thinking, yes, everything is, right, is, is okay. But actually, globally, internationally, there's no peace. There's no peace in Ukraine, Afghanistan, Yemen, Ethiopia. Right across the world, there is a lack of peace. And so if there's one thing that the world needs, it's peace. But the one thing that the world is lacking is peace. And so when I think about it, I think that, you know, not only is there no peace internationally, there's no peace racially. And it's not just a black-white thing. There is no peace racially. There's kind of like an underlying current of tension sometimes. There's no peace politically. Brexit, no Brexit. Ireland, I don't know what's happening Boris and COVID and now the other guy as well apparently was having parties. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, not another one and not another thing. But not just is there no peace politically. I mean, who's been following Wagatha Christie carry on? I mean, seriously, as if we haven't got enough problems. We have to hear, and for those of you who don't know what that is, there are these wags, wives and girlfriends of footballers or whatever who've got too much money they've got more money than sense to be honest let me not even go down there because I might get sued for libel keep it <laughs> let's focus Kemi focus okay but the truth is actually there might not be peace in these kind of global and international areas and arenas but if truth be told there is no personal peace either a lot of people are walking around and within their own Within their own families and within their own spaces, there's no peace there either. Where we hear of the rising rate of divorce, family feuds, brother against sister, husband against wife, mother against children, father against children. And sometimes when you think about it, it can feel quite a dire situation. Well, here's the thing. The thing is that it is into this into this world of lack of peace that God has placed you and I. And he has placed us here to be those who bring peace. But you might think about everything that's going on and think actually it's probably too much for us to be able to bring those bearers of peace. But that is what God has called us to do, to bring his peace. And so I really want to spend today really just a short time I have talking about that peace. Because the peace that God is calling us to bring is not peace as is defined by the world. It's biblical peace. And when we think about biblical peace, we're talking about that peace that really we're talking about biblical peace, which is that inner strong 
Um, that strong inner calm that comes from harmony with God. It's a strong inner calm that comes from being in harmony with God. Because if you are not in harmony with God, everything else is just false. Everything else we are doing is we're kind of balancing on this undercurrent of tension. That, that inner calm that comes from being in harmony with God. But not just that. It's that inner calm that comes from being in harmony with your community or with your surroundings. So that no matter what's going on, you yourself are at peace. That's the kind of biblical peace that we're called to bring. That no matter what is going on, we ourselves are not fretful about it. That we're able to stay strong no matter what the enemy throws at us. Biblical peace is that strong inner calm that comes from being in harmony with your destiny that you know that you have an eternity with Christ that ought to bring you so much peace that you know that your future is secure in God so that no matter whatever it is that is going on here you know that actually I have a home I have a future I have a hope that is the definition of biblical peace and that is the kind of biblical, that is the kind of peace that God is calling us as children of the Most High God to bring into our world. And when we think about it, it's really about us proclaiming Jesus Christ wherever we are and to, have, to whoever God brings across our path. But the important thing to be able to bear that peace is that, you know, God calls us to profess his name, to proclaim his name. But to bear the peace, you need to actually really have peace with God yourself. And I never take it for granted that even though I'm speaking to a church where you assume that everyone is a Christian, has given their life to Christ, you cannot go away with that assumption. That there are people listening who haven't actually made their peace. They haven't had the peace of God. That is to know him, to have him as your personal Lord and, and Savior. That the bearers of peace, where the Bible says in Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have justif been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the real kind of peace. It comes from God. Peace with God. But also that we are called to have peace from God. Not the kind of peace that the world would define or not the kind of peace that the world would give us but a peace that comes from God where it says in John 14 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid amen I love that not as the world gives do I give to you it's a peace that only God can give you can have peace with God as in you are saved but until you understand that actually to live in peace, you have to have that kind of peace that God gives to you. Because I know many Christians that don't have peace. They are saved, so they have peace with God. But they don't walk in the goodness of that peace. Does that make sense? They're not walking in the goodness of it. And what we tend to do is really look to false peace, as the, as the world will put it forward, which is sometimes the avoidance of confrontation. I hate confrontation. So for me, it's like, you know, if I want to make peace, just avoid confrontation. Or maybe sometimes it's about just acceptance of a situation. You know, let bygones be bygones. You do you. I, do, I hate that phrase, by the way. You do you. It's that kind of understanding that, you know, let's just, I don't agree with you, but let's just agree to disagree. 
Is that the right way around? Agree to disagree, yeah. I don't, I don't like what you're doing, but I'm not going to do anything about it as long as it doesn't affect me. But that's not who God has called us to be as Christians. That's the way the world will sort things out. That's probably the way that NATO will sort things out. But not the way that we have been called to proclaim the word of God. That God has just has called us also to bring the peace of God. That we are to bring the peace of God into situations wherever God places us. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So I know that you are in a series called, Who You Gonna Call? And you all want to say, let's just get it out of your system now. Who you gonna call? Let's just leave it there because I really can't sing. <laughs> but um, who you gonna call? Not Ghostbusters this time. Let's go back, back into the word of God. And I thought about, as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, I love the woman called Abigail in the Bible. I love the story of Abigail. And if ever I needed somebody, if ever I, there was conflict, if ever there was a situation that I needed someone to just bring wisdom into, I'm going to call Abigail. She's my hero. She's my hero. She's the one that I'm going to call into the situation. And I read a little bit from the book of um, 2 Samuel, was it? Um, I read a little bit about Abigail's story there. But just to really put it in context, so the Bible tells us that Abigail was beautiful and she was discerning. She was beautiful, she was a wise woman. But she had a little bit of a problem, and it was her husband. Don't nudge your husbands right now, okay? Abigail was married to Nabal, and Nabal was described as a foolish man. In fact, some people say that he, the name Nabal actually means fool. I mean, who names their child? <laughs> you give birth to a child, you're like, hey, praise the Lord, here's my baby, it's called fool. But I don't think so. I think maybe as he grew up, they probably thought, this guy's just foolish, and it became a nickname. Anyway, whatever it was, let me carry on. But the Bible also tells us that Nabal behaved badly, but this guy was rich. He had, he had flock, he had, he had everything. And so it happens that during this time, there was, um, it was a time of a feast. And so what would happen is that the servants of Nabal will be in the wilderness. They'll be shearing. They'll be working. They'll be doing all sorts of But it was, a, it was kind of a festival time. And it was during this time that King David was on, run, on the run from Saul. And he was hiding in caves and really trying to make his way whichever way he could. And the Bible tells us that David had sent some of his men to Nabal to ask for provisions. And it wasn't an outrageous request, really, because you see, David and his men had protected Nabal's shepherds while they were in, 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 in the wilderness. He had stopped, you know, it was a dangerous area. He had stopped the armed uh, raiding people from, you know, just raiding his, his stock. So it was only right for him to actually give David something. Anyway, David's men come up to Nabal and ask him for provisions. And this is what, this is what Nabal replied. He said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? That's verse 10 to 11. And the truth is he knew who David was. Everyone who knew, knew who David was. 
Because he had been with King Saul for such a long time before he had to run for his life. So really, he was just, he was being rude, downright rude. And David's men went back and reported to David that, you know, this is what had happened. And David was indignant. He was angry. He was like, right, that is it. I'm going to sort this guy out. And so he straps his sword. He gets his men together. And he's going straight to Nabal's house. And he was going to raise that house to the ground. Not one person was going to be left alive. Except, thankfully, one of Nabal's servants heard what he had done. And he ran to Abigail and said, look, this is what my master has done. In fact, even the servant refers to his master as foolish. Abigail hears this. And I want to just, you know, pull out three things, three things for us today to take away from Abigail's story. That as you are being called to be a peacemaker, what are some of the things, what are the processes we need to take to be a peacemaker? Let's look at what Abigail did. The first thing I noticed was that Abigail was quick to act and she was discreet. The minute she heard what her husband had done, she didn't sit down and debate it. She didn't contemplate it. She didn't Google it. She got up, she made haste and she went straight away. But not just that, she acted discreetly. She didn't tell anyone about it. She didn't chat to the whole neighborhood about it. She didn't even tell him. In fact, the Bible says that she went under the shadow of the mountain, almost as if, you know, let me just go and sort this thing out discreetly. She was, in her wisdom, she acted quickly, she acted discreetly. The second thing I noticed that she was ready to go over and beyond. That when she realized what he had done, he had asked for very, very small amount of stuff. But when Abigail gets up to go and meet David, she goes over and begins. She takes, you know, 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sears of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 figs. And, and she went over and above. And this is the thing that to be a peacemaker, there are times when we have to go the extra mile. We have to go the extra mile. We have to sometimes be the first to say sorry, even if it wasn't our fault. Husbands and wives, go the extra mile. Go beyond what you are comfortable doing to make peace. Maybe in your family there are things going on and God is nudging you saying, actually, you need to make haste right now. And you need to step out of your comfort zone and you need to confront some stuff. But the other thing I noticed is she did is that she, she approached him humbly and in her humility kept referring to the Lord. She goes, my Lord, the Lord, my Lord, the Lord. She approached David respectfully and humbly, but continually referred him to God. Because he was ready. He was going to do something that was actually against God's word. And she stopped him in her wisdom. And reminded him of who he was. Reminded him of who he served. Reminded him that actually you, you're, you're better than this. And I really believe that as Abigail took the position of a peacemaker, God is telling us, is calling us to do the same. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But we need to remember that that source of peace remains the God of all peace, that God is the God of all peace. Not only is the God of all peace, he is the prince of peace. Amen? He is the prince of peace. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. That our source of peace is God the Father, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I grew up, I, I grew up in a context where there was no peace in my home. Zero peace. Um, my, you know, just to, to give you a bit of context, I, I was born, I was born in London, and whilst we were growing up, I really, my dad was in and out quite a lot. And at some point, we moved back to Nigeria. And in that time, I had two major um, health episodes. So I was born quite poorly. I was born with a congenital heart defect. And then about the age of nine, I um, was involved in a massive car accident. And so right through my early years, there was almost a sense of fear on the inside of me. Because I was always being told, don't do this, don't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that, your heart's not strong, your leg's not strong. You're it was, so there was always like an underlying fear that was going on on the inside of me. And as I grew older, you know, family life seemed to be fine, mom, dad, we were all together uh, eventually. And I remember one day just coming home from school with my sister, I must have been about 12 years old, come home from school with my sister and um, I walk into the house and I noticed that the house, things were not right, there were things missing. But the interesting thing was that it wasn't that we were burgled or anything because I'd let myself in and there were the, the, you know, the, um, the windows hadn't been smashed but things were missing. When my brother came back from school and um, I asked him, do you know what's going on? And he sort of said no. And so we just waited. And I remember just sitting on the bed with my sister. And we just sat there in silence, each of us just pondering what was going on. Well, eventually my dad came home from work. And um, we went up to him and we just said, um, Dad, what's going on? And he looked at us and he looked at all three of us and he went, your mother's gone. And I thought, Ooh. my mom's gone? And he just walked off. Now, my dad was the kind of person, if he didn't want to talk about it, that was it. And he walked off and he went to his bedroom and he shut the door. Mother's gone. Okay. We carried on as, as you do and uh, went to bed that night. And I remember just thinking, what did he mean by that? Where is she gone? Is she gone back to London? Is she, is she dead? Is she gone to see her parents? But he wouldn't talk about it. Three weeks, three whole weeks of not knowing where my mom was. Because he would get up, he would go to work, he would come back, he would go to his room, he would shut the door. Now, this is a day and age where there were no mobile phones, there were no, uh, we had landlines, but not, this is in Nigeria, so not many people had a landline, so I didn't really know who to call. And so we just waited and we went to school as if everything was normal. And here's the thing that a lack of peace does. It messes with your mind. My mind was so cluttered and, and I remember just not being able to think straight. It messes with your mind. It tampers with your emotions. Where I became full of anxiety and that fear that I always knew as a child just grew even more. It became such a situation where everything worried me. I became possessive of things. Because I thought, if I don't keep it, it's going to be taken away. That's a lack of peace. Three weeks later, my mom's friend comes to the door. She knocks the door. She says, your mom's in my house and she wants to see you. 
I went to a house and I remember as clear as day, my mom was sitting at their dining table. My sister who was younger than me runs up to her and gives her a hug. And I just stood there looking at her. I just felt, how could you? Three weeks of turmoil and I was 12. Three weeks of not being able to rest. Three weeks of not knowing what was going on. And I think something broke in me that day. I became hardened. My relationship with my mom was never the same after that. It turns out the marriage had broken up. She'd found someone, he'd found someone. Both of them had got married very quickly. We lived with our dad from then on. But things did not go well. Because now my dad was so focused on his new family that he neglected the three of us. And I don't have time to walk you through some of the things that I was exposed to because of the lack of care of my dad. And so I lived with that kind of lack of peace for a long time. Until the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I came to know the peace that comes from God. I'm not saying that immediately everything was fine, no. But at least there was something that I knew that I could hold on to. It was, my, it was many years later as I began to walk with God and understand the promises in his word. Where he said things like in Isaiah 26, 3, when he says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I held on to that in the days of my fearfulness, in the days of my anxiety, in the days of me feeling so low and so confused. I held on to the word of God. But things were not 100% okay. I still didn't like my mom. <laughs> I still had issues with my dad. And then one day I was in a women's meeting. And the moms and the daughters were, were talking and they were laughing. And I was angry. There was an anger that was on the inside of me that I didn't understand. And then I started to cry. And I started to cry out to God. I said, why can't I have that? Why can't I be happy with my mom like that? And I remember as clear as I'm talking to you, I was now in my 20s or 30s. I remember God whispering to me at that moment saying, you have to forgive your mom. You have to forgive your mother. There was a lady standing, sitting by me. I don't, till today, don't know who she was. And I said to her, could you pray for me? Because I knew that's what I had to do. I said, could you pray for me? She laid hands on me. She didn't ask me what it was. I didn't tell her what it was. And she prayed. And in that moment, something just lifted. Something lifted. Something broke in that moment. And I knew that it was the peace of God. Finally, I had forgiven my mom. And that peace that God always promised me was there in its fullness. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.